It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Katrinka Pogue was one of the first people to sign up to receive emails to find out when a new episode of A Quilter's Life was available. Through my sister, I knew that Katrinka not only liked to listen, but she was a quilter herself. And each week, as I sent out the emails, I hoped to get to visit with her someday. Well, that day finally came, and we had such a good visit. I'm impressed with her statement that she's not a give-upper, because she pushes through where others would have given up. Today on A Quilter's Life, I get to talk to Katrinka Pogue. She was the first one to sign up for my email list, and I have been waiting for quite a while to get to talk with her. So, Katrinka, thank you for doing this episode today. Paula, you're quite welcome. I'm glad to be here. Let's start at your beginning. Where were you born and raised? I was actually born in Baltimore, Maryland. And when I was six, we moved to... Westminster, Maryland, which is about 45 minutes away from where I was born. And I lived there till I was 18. And then I moved after I got married. And did you have a childhood memory that you can tell me about? I was the outdoor child. I was out in the country, lived the last eight years of my life living there, was out on a hilltop in a one-room schoolhouse, changed into a house oh, neat. with my sisters and brothers. I had two sisters, two brothers, and my parents and gardened. I did the mowing, and I'm not much for staying indoors. Mm-hmm. But you have to at times to get some things done, but I preferred the outdoors. Yeah. Swimming in the pond at the foot of the hill. There was a farm at the foot of the hill, and they had a farm pond, and they had snapping turtles and fish and a goose that hated us. And yeah, that was our summers. Nice. Can you tell me about your employment? My employment. Actually, I took my disability in 2002. But prior to that, I had had my own sewing shop for 11 years here in Covington, Virginia. Mm-hmm. I made and altered clothing, and I still do that for some people. Then my education, I have my accounting degree. I've lived in several states, in Texas and Alabama and Georgia, Maryland and Virginia now. And I got my accounting degree and worked in Atlanta for a few years before I moved back north. And then when I was job hunting, with my birth defect and the like, people weren't willing to hire with the person they saw. They weren't willing to take the brain and skip what the person looked like. So I've sewn for now 56 years. I started sewing when I was 10. Mm-hmm. So I went to work in a sewing factory. Really? Yeah, I worked in a mom-and-pop sewing factory. They made clothing for L.L. Bean. Did that for a while and moved over to a men's suit factory. Quality control, how to grow a tough skin real quick because nobody likes you when you're in quality control. <laughs> They disliked you even more when they got angry and said, if you don't like it, do it yourself. And when they found out I could, they got even madder. Oops. (laughs) 
I wasn't good at making friends there. <laughs> so I, I went from there to actually working in a couple ladies owned a fabric shop and I was their in-house seamstress there in Maryland. But then when I moved here to Covington, Virginia in 1990, I applied for accounting jobs and there were none to be had. I did a few odds and end jobs. Yeah. Part-time jobs here and there till my spouse got a job so we would have an income. Mm-hmm. And in the few months we were here, so by Christmas of 1990, I decided I was just going to open up my own shop. And I opened up my shop. And then it was history. I had my shop. I called it Fit to a T, the letter T. My nickname was T for Trink. Uh-huh. And I made and altered clothing for 11 years. And I worked 40 and 80 hours a week by myself doing this job. I had rented a place downtown for a little while, but then moved it home. Yeah. And had it in the front of the living room. Thoroughly enjoyed it. But in 2002, my health, my back and everything just wouldn't let me do the crawling on the floor, marking wedding dress hems and the like. So I took my disability in 2002 and I've worked part time jobs. I got to work for two and a half years in a quilt shop down in Fincastle, Virginia. That shop since closed. The owners retired. Yeah. That was fun doing that. And now I'm back to doing alterations here in the home and actually being commissioned to make quilts. I took up quilting in 2002. Okay. I have a question about the sewing machines you worked on in the factory. How is that compared to our domestic machines? The ones in the factory, they have governors on them and they have... More parts on them, like the underneath of a car, than a standard sewing machine. They will go 90 miles an hour and faster. And you really do need to keep your fingers out of the way. One of the machines I was using malfunctioned and it would not stop. Oh, no. And all I did was I picked my hands up and it's like, not my problem. The only way to make it stop was to unplug it. Yeah. It's not a sit there and sew it in a leisurely pace, you know, with your foot not very far down on the rheostat or anything. It's one speed and it's full speed ahead and or faster. When the, that machine broke that day, it went faster. And I just let go of what piece I had in my hand. And it's like, I don't care if it chews this up. It's not having my hands. Yeah. And the ladies periodically would actually impale their fingers and stuff. Because the machine moved so fast and was so strong compared to our domestic machines. Where we have the bells and whistles and the fancy stitches, that's just not part of, you know, I was just in clothing factory. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't, you know, decorative stitches and the like on the machines. So it was noisy. Oh, my. Because there's a whole room full of them going at one time. And a lot of dust, a lot of dust and lint, just like my house. It's always covered with fabric lint and dust because of the sewing I do. I actually bought an industrial machine, but I used it like twice. And I'm going, I don't like this. I, I like to have more control of my machine, the speed I wanted to do and what I wanted to do. 
and just straight stitching and frontwards and backwards just isn't no Mm-mm. that wasn't any fun i've been wondering so that was very interesting wow it's not a machine you would want to get to do quilting or domestic sewing at home yeah if you were into doing leather and upholstery it would be something to have cuz that would be basically straight stitching. Yeah. And it would go through the density of what you were working with. But just cotton, no. Can you share with me what took you to Covington? When I had moved back from Atlanta to Maryland after a divorce, I remarried. And my mom-in-law, and yeah, she was mom to me, um, miss her. Her health was failing. She was having heart issues. My second spouse was from Covington in the first place. And so we moved down here to be closer to her, to spend time with her and help her with things she couldn't do any longer. Very sweet lady. Nice. And she quilted. Did she? And here's the cool thing is after her cancer, when she was 48, she lost the use of her right arm. She had been a right-handed person. Her right arm died, the nerves and all. It just hung there. And she sewed one-handed, and she made herself quilts. Wow. She cut out the pieces, and she quilted her quilts. She tie-quilted them. Amazing. Her tie-quilting was with her left hand in her mouth. Wow. You talk about an inspiration. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet lady. Well, besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? If you have a list of all the crafts, I've probably done them. <laughs> I'm one of these that when I was a kid, I would spend like the 25 cents on the how-to little books that you used to be able to get it. The five and dime, like Woolworths and the like, uh-huh. on how to knit or how to crochet. I mean, they were like 25. They weren't 50 cents. I don't think they were 50 cents. The little, like six or seven page booklets. And then I would get either the knitting needles or the crochet needles or whatever and teach myself how to do these different things. Neat. And I'm going, okay, I learned how to do that. That's fine. Things bore me very easily. So I taught myself to knit and I taught myself how to crochet and I did cross stitch and I did needlepoint and macrame. And when I was going to college in Atlanta, Georgia, rode the bus from the apartment to school because it was an inner city. Georgia State didn't have housing. It was a commute school at that point in time. And during that time, I taught myself how to tat while riding a bus. How insane is that? (laughs) And I paint. Well, I did. And when it came to my painting, I had to determine whether I was going to sew or whether I was going to paint. And if I was going to paint, I would have my walls full of pictures I had painted. If I was going to sew, I was going to be able to eat. Hmm. So my paints dried up and I hadn't painted since 
early 80s. And just a couple of months ago, I did one of those paint nights that they do for fundraisers. Uh-huh. And I painted me a pumpkin. <laughs> it's hanging on my dining room wall. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. And it's like, you know, I could really get back into this, but I still wouldn't be able to eat. <laughs> so I sew because I can make a living at sewing. Yeah. Any and all, if it intrigued me how to do it, I've done it. But since I've developed neuropathy in my hands and feet, I've had to give up different things because I can't feel the back of the canvas when doing cross-stitch and the like. And I end up with all this mess back there that I don't know is back there because I can't feel it. Mm-hmm. So I've had to whittle down my crafts to what I was going to do. And it's um, making clothes and quilts. Yeah. Before we go on with quilting questions, a little bird told me something about you and the Appalachian Trail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your little bird's a sweet person, <laughs> just like you are. Let's see. It would have been... In 87, when I had my first leg surgeries done for my lymphedema at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, my second spouse said he wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I said, fine, we'll do that. And I asked my plastic surgeon and he said, tell me about it when you get back. So after my two leg surgeries and recovering from them, hiked all over the mountains in Maryland and here in Virginia once we moved down here. Practice hiked for five years, saved up the money until we had a sufficient amount saved up to be able to live on the trail and live when we got back till we had a job mm-hmm. and pay for the utilities and all the expenses of back home as well as living out on the trail. So my plastic surgeon, before he did my surgery, he said, you either have the surgery done or by the time you're 40, and I was 33 at that point in time, by the time you're 40, you will be in a wheelchair permanently and unable to walk because your heart and lungs won't carry the weight of you around anymore. So I had the surgery, and I spent my 40th birthday out on the Appalachian Trail carrying a 40-pound backpack. It took seven months because my body won't move as fast as everybody else's does. My heart rate goes up very fast because of the weight my body's carrying. And I would have to rest more often. But I hiked 2,146 miles in seven months from Maine to Georgia and did have to come in Christmas Eve with 110 miles to go in 93 And the only way I was willing to come in off the trail was that we had a date set when we were going to come back and finish it. And so we came back out on April 2nd and 94 and finished the last 110 miles. And my birthday's April 5th. So I spent my 40th birthday on the Appalachian Trail and not in a wheelchair. Wow. He said, why did you do that? I said, because I could. Because I could. God bless me with the ability to continue walking. And why waste the ability? Use it. Now, my back hates me because I did it. But I had a good time. (laughs) That is so cool. (laughs) Bugs and 
and mice and bear and deer and wild boar and moose and yeah, there's critters out there. I didn't like the snake in the outhouse, so I went and used a tree instead. I said, okay, it's occupied. <laughs> Shut the door back. He's just like, no, not using that room. Mm-mm. You know, I thought I was going to have privacy for a change, and it's like, no, I'll just go use a tree. Wow. I can't believe it's been 26 years since I did that. It was, it was a big trip. How fun. Yeah, I mean, I tell people, you go and do what you can. Don't go when I am. No, you don't know you're going to even be here then or be able to then. I couldn't do the Appalachian Trail now. Yeah. And so I'm glad I did it then. Yeah. So I'm going to jump back to quilting now. Who there you int- go. <laughs> who introduced you to quilting? In 2002, like I said, when I took my disability because my health wouldn't let me do those 40 and 80 hour work weeks anymore, crawling on the floor and the like, God and I had a long talk. I I cried. I did not want to take my disability. I've always thought I'd work till I drew my last breath. It was very hard. I cried and I cried and I cried because it wasn't something I intended to do, planned on, but it became a necessity. God and I talked a long time. As I got, you know, I enjoy sewing, and you know, I can't wear all the clothes I could possibly make for myself, and I have nowhere to wear them now that I'm not working and, you know, disabled. So I was taking ceramic classes, painting ceramic things, and one of the ladies in the class with me was taking quilting classes. Hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Dear Jane. I've heard of it, yes. Yes, the Dear Jane, the 1860-whatever-the-year-is. Okay, she wanted to go to this Dear Jane class, and it wasn't a teach-you-how-to. It was sit around the table and just chat with each other as you did the blocks yourself. It was hand-applicate, hand-pieced, no machines, just on Saturday a month, get together with a group of people and There were several other different quilting themes going along at the same time where they were doing Dear Jane and they were doing the girls gang and different things and the quilt shop I used to work at. So this is before I went to work there. Mm -hmm. And so I went with her to see what was what. And oh yeah, my Dear Jane's maybe a fourth of the way done. It's in a big wood you know, there's round cheese boxes. Okay. All my Dear Jane fabrics and all my Dear Jane stuff's in one of them. So that's where I went and I saw what they were doing. So I was like, oh, I can do this. It's like my other crafting things. It's like, give me a book. I'll read it. So that was my introduction to a quilt shop and people quilting and and the like and it's like this is very possible let's read the directions and do this and she was one of the ladies that gave me like three or four brown paper bags full of quilt magazines and they had been scavenged by other people and it's like you take what you want out of them and hand them to the next person and they take what they want out of them and you just keep going i went to the glossary to have the proper terminology and understand what people were telling me to do in their instructions. 
the quilt because five eighths inches your seam allowance on clothing, but quarter inches of seam allowance on quilts. And I had to get a quarter inch foot for my sewing machine because I didn't have one. Mm-hmm. Didn't need one when I was making clothes. I mean, when I top stitched, I top stitched the width of my presser foot, thinking it was a quarter of an inch, but it wasn't. It was bigger. It wasn't so much somebody introduced me as it was I was in the environment of it happening. Yeah. It's like my sewing as a kid when I first learned how to sew when I was 10. My description is my mother handed me a thread and needle and walked out of the room and God did the rest. (laughs) Because nobody sat there. My eldest sister and my mother would cut out things and they would just hand me pieces. And I sat there at the machine and just put things together. Yeah. No instructions, just put them together. God gave me the ability to do this. Okay. Just needed the right terminology so I knew what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Describe your favorite quilt or quilt pattern. Well, my favorite quilt's hanging on my living room wall. It's a reverse applique butterfly. I think it's 36 by 36. Mm -hmm. It's stained glass window. It's done in batiks. It took me a month to do that one. You know, after work, coming home every day for a month to do that one. I had to get a stiletto knife to cut the pieces out because it started out as a black square. Yeah. And you traced your pattern on it. And you started in the very middle and you cut the eyes out and then you put the fabric behind it and you turned the edges under and you stitched it down and you went till you had the whole thing done. I wanted that one to hang on my living room wall and it is hanging on my living room wall. I like doing English paper piecing. I've done a diamond field is a version of grandmother's flower garden, but done in a diamond shape. That quilt actually got raffled off when I had my second leg surgeries done back in 2016 and 17. Went back up to Hopkins and had my thighs done and had medical bills and living expenses and raffled that one off and helped pay the medical bills with that one. It was done in burgundy, pink, and brown and a gentleman won it it was very much a man's quilt i mean the colors and everything very much a man's quilt you can't see me shaking my head so I was like, oh cool neat <laughs> oh there you go he says it's too pretty to use and i'm like no you use this quilt you know yeah i've made tons of quilts and i think that was the coolest what happened with that one mm-hmm. neat Tell me about your favorite tool. I have rulers that I'm using that were my mom-in-law's. I guess a rotary cutter of some kind is nice because making garments, I've always used scissors. Yeah. And it's a sharp rotary blade and a rotary cutter and 15 layers of fabric and slice it all at once. That's kind of cool. You know, uh-huh. your shoulders are a little sore when you get done, but you can be done your cutting very quickly 
or scissors is like two layers at best at a time. Right. And and it's not straight. And I like my snips. I don't do well with seam rippers for the fact that I break them. It's a hazard of having neuropathy. I don't realize how hard I'm gripping something and how hard I'm insisting that it work. And I've snapped seam rippers in half before. So my snips are my things I use to take things apart. Wow. A seam ripper is just too fragile. Hmm. The first seam ripper I broke in half was the fabric shop I worked for. They sold Bernina sewing machines. And so I got to work on the machines and I was using the seam ripper that came with one of them and I snapped it in half and I'm like, oops. I bet you were shocked. Sort of. I didn't realize my hands were going numb until I was hand sewing and I snapped my hand sewing needle in half in my hand. Oh, wow. I sew with what I call eight penny nails. Very long, very thick needles so I don't break them in half because I can't feel that I'm death gripping it. I wear surgical gloves to be able to pull it out, you know, and when I put it through the fabric, it helps me not death grip it so hard because I can make it do, but my hands are slick. They're like glass and I can't grip things. So I pulled them too hard. Wow. I don't give up though. Just just put on surgical gloves and keep on going. (laughs) That's just amazing. I wore the surgical gloves when I worked in the quilt shop for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I told the boss, I said, I will have gloves on. The fabric has formaldehyde in it for preservative. Hmm. Hence, you really do want to wash your fabrics. At least after you finish making the quilt, if you don't do it before. Yeah. And the dyes and everything, plus being able to hold on to the rotary cutter and cut fabric at the counter. I just wore gloves all the time. Yeah. It works. So do you have a favorite part of the quilting process? I like seeing quilts and figuring out how it's put together without reading the directions. (laughs) I've been accused of just looking at pictures without reading directions. I said, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. I like the challenge of figuring out how a quilt's made. When I first started quilting, I had the very bad habit of thinking I needed to get all the makings to make every quilt I wanted to make. And what I really found out I needed to do was sit there and look at the picture and figure out how the quilt was put together. And that more times than not satisfies me. I don't have to buy all the fabric and make every quilt. I'm just curious as to how they put it together. Yeah, that makes sense. And once I figure out how to put it together, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But some of them I do want to make. But unfortunately, I've started some and I'm going, I wish I had just figured out how they did it and didn't start it because I'm really not liking this quilt. I'll finish it eventually. Do you have a pile of those? About 35. Oh, wow. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) they sit there as I make others (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
about your worst quilting experience. That was uh, a tumbling block. It was penguins was my main fabric and the penguins were in black and white and they each had a color little bow tie on. And I thought it would be the cutest thing done in black and white and then the the penguins in black and white. Mm-hmm. First off, I hand cut the pieces out. That was a mistake. And then, you know, all the Y seams and everything and it was a disaster. It's like, why did I ever do this? This was before I figured out. I just needed to figure out how that was put together and not do every quilt. <laughs> this is one of those every quilts I thought I had to do. And I really don't ever want to make a tumbling black. I never finished it. I boxed it up and shipped it to somebody that said they would finish it. And they probably threw it away. But at least I didn't have to throw it away. Yeah. You know, it, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> Why would you say that you make quilts rather than do another hobby? I think you might have already covered this as in you chose quilting over painting. Yes. Quilting was to have an outlet to sew. I have the privilege of making baby quilts for the babies that are born into our church. Just because... I guess God had me do this. I was in a quilt group and it disbanded. But what they were doing was they were making the quilts for the babies born into the church. So there was nobody to make the quilts for the babies that were born into the church. So I just took it up. If it isn't a commissioned quilt that it's made for somebody that's paying me to make it, I will make a quilt and sometimes it lives at my house for a little while and then it goes to its forever home. Mm -hmm. I don't have very many quilts here. I have in years past made as many as 30 quilts in a year. Baby quilts, different quilts, different, different size quilts and the like. Uh And people say, well, you have quilts like tons of them. I'm like, no, I don't. They have their forever homes. And I have quilts that I've started, and this is going to sound weird. But anyway, when I started the quilt in the phase of life I was in at that point in time, it was a sad time. The quilts have memories with them when I was making them, when I started them. And I've made myself finish quite a number of different ones that were made during a sad time in my life. And I gave them away. And they're in their forever homes where they're being loved on and cared for and enjoyed and people were staying warm with them. Whereas if I had kept them, I would just have a pile of sad memories. And I'm glad now I have happy memories about them because these people are enjoying them. Yeah. What are you working on right now? A friend commissions me to make quilts to give to people that she thinks need to have them to be cheered up or loved on or whatever the case might be. This one is going to a cancer survivor who's been going through cancer treatments. My friend said, I need a cheerful quilt. So this I'm going to call a bright quilt because it is a scrappy quilt and its base is white fabric. 
it looks like a four-winged windmill, like over in Holland. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting the binding down on it right now. And I'm a very odd quilter in that I'm a machine quilt, but I will put 300, 500 basting pins in the quilt once I've drawn my pattern on it to hold it in place while I quilt it because with my numb hands, I can't feel wrinkles. Yeah. It has to be absolutely stable when I'm quilting it on my domestic machine. I don't have a long arm. Yeah. So it can't move. Every now and then I'll have a tiny wrinkle and I can go back and pick that out and, and straighten that out. But just a massive fold or anything, I can't have that happening. And so what I did was I did all my quilting to the outside edge. And then I primed it and put my binding on so I would have handwork to carry with me to doctor's appointments and whatever. Yeah. And then I'll go back and finish quilting the inside of it. Huh. I know. Rule is start in the middle. Oh, sorry. I think I've broken every quilting rule there is. <laughs> <laughs> but it works for me. It works for me. Watch out for those quilt police. <laughs> <laughs> I've met a couple and I'm going, oh, well, it's like, this is the way I do it. You might think it's wrong, but it's the way I do it. <laughs> It was funny explaining to the doctor in the doctor's office. He says, why are all those pins in there? And he's not a quilter. They depend on going anywhere. They're, they're safe. They're there. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to share with me? I'm not a give upper when it comes to doing and figuring things out because I could have just laid it all aside because I really can't feel what I'm doing. I'm watching my what I'm doing, but I can't feel what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Hence, I don't hand quilt. Yeah. I have done some primitive quilting with crochet thread. Huh. Your number 10, like you tie your quilts with. Okay. I've quilted with that. And done um, primitive stitch, but I can take like three stitches and then I have to look to the back to see that the needle came all the way through. Yeah. But it's on a small project. So I can do that. I can flip it over and, you know, look and make sure I haven't left the knot back there and make sure that the stitches actually came through. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to come up with a new machine that's got a deeper throat on it because mm -hmm. my standard machines have six inches and six inches and trying to get a double quilt through there is a little tough. Yeah. So I was taking a gander at machines yesterday. I'm like, ah, the price. I thought the price was bad on my machines when I bought these. <laughs> I bought my first Bernina in 1990 and I bought my second one in 97. I killed my serger. It literally sounded like it threw a rod inside it. Wow. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. Uh, 20 years of work. What's your problem? <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, I've taken my machines with me on missions trips. And we've gone to New York to the Word of Life Institute. And I would take my serger and my sewing machine with me. And I would make curtains for the dorms. When I make curtains, I mean 40, 50 pair. A yeah. curtain 
and we would do this each year. They would paint and scrape and build and tear down and replace windows and whatever needed to be done, the rest of the crew, and I would be set up with my sewing stuff, making curtains. And I think I did that seven years in a row. So my serger got a little bit of work. <laughs> and that was just that project. That doesn't count the years of sewing and making clothing. So it died. Oh, and I have a Singer Featherweight. It weighs 14 pounds. It's gone to Honduras with me. Oh, neat. Did sewing down there. Almost didn't get to bring it back to the States. Uh-oh. The customs. You buy this here? No, I brought it with me. I do sewing. I'm on a missions trip. They were not real happy with me having that machine. Yeah. But I got to bring it back. I have it with me. It's my carry to when I get to go quilting with other people, which has been a long time now with COVID. Right. But being my back and all is such that my 45-pound sewing machines get a little bit much having to lug them around. I take my 14-pound one instead. It's in its carry case. I can throw it over my shoulder and go with it. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good about the featherweights. I literally got it because I was going weekly quilt group, and I just couldn't tote around the big one anymore. I'm considered a speed demon, at least by my father I was when he was alive, when it comes to sewing on the sewing machine. Yeah. And he came in the room, he says, I knew your mother wasn't sewing on that machine because she doesn't sew that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Dad, I do this for a living. I've got to get it done. <laughs> you know? So I was like, uh, yeah. When it came to making my brother's future wife wedding dress over Christmas weekend visit, yes, weekend visit, I took my own machine with me. I was not going to deal with my mother's machine to try to do what I needed to do. So, yeah, I made a wedding dress in two days. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mother says, what can I do to help? I said, keep me fed. <laughs> and she did. She kept me fed. She'd bring me snacks and what have you. Thank you I, so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I just appreciate you talking with me. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of A Quilter's Life. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a review as it helps others to find the show? Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website or a Quilters Life Facebook group to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>